Good morning. Good morning. Am I on? Uh, just want to welcome you to CBC today. And most of you know my family and I. Uh, but the, for those of you who do not know or we haven't had the privilege of meeting you yet, uh, we've been a part of CBC. Um, we were a part of CBC in the very beginning. And we had the privilege of being a part of the core team here. And we're just thrilled to be here at this time. And as many of you uh, have prayed for our family and partnered with us in prayer for our, our children um, and our, our adoptions, that which were completed last December, um, they wouldn't have happened without your prayers. We're convinced of that. And we're just so thankful um, that you are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're just very privileged to, to be here this morning. We also, by God's grace, just finished the Master's in Divinity degree from the Master's Seminary. Uh, it was over eight years ago. Um, not that we started Master's Seminary. That was uh, seven years ago. We crammed the three-year degree into seven years. So uh, we, uh, we had the privilege eight years ago, though. Uh, Molly and I were in Uganda, and um, God really pricked our hearts for the nations and for um, specifically for discipleship among the nations. And that's what we desire, and this desire has grown um, throughout seminary, and, and now God is directing our steps to Albania. And we're very, very excited um, to focus on the areas of pastoral training, on church planting, and on church strengthening in Albania. Uh, do you know that Albanians are mentioned in the Bible? Do you know that? In Romans 15, verse 19. Do you remember where Paul is explaining that he's, been, he's preached the gospel all the way from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, and he even wants to preach in Spain. Do you remember that? Illyricum, that's the, the people group of the Albanians. They're the only Illyrians that remain. And uh, so that's an, an interesting um, just, just thought to, to remember that we're reaching the same people that that Paul um, preached the gospel to. Our guiding verse to reach uh, those in Albania for Christ is Colossians 1.28. We proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. I want to invite you personally to come to Bible study this Thursday and um, we'll be able to share a little bit more about what um, we are looking to do and seeking to do and how you can partner with us in Albania. And um, we're also, Lord willing, going to have some, some pictures, maybe some slides to show, maybe some Turkish delight, and maybe some dessert. So we would love to have you come and join us. Today, uh, Pastor Patrick thought it would be um, good to, to just give us a little break from our wonderful series through the, pro uh, the parables this summer and focus on a psalm, and specifically a psalm to the nations. So if you would please turn to Psalm 117. It's the shortest psalm in the Bible. And as you turn there, I'd like to just ask you, do, do you ever feel like no one has anything relevant to say when you're looking at social media and you're looking online and you're, you're seeing all, there's a lot of things being said, isn't there? Tweets going out. There's, there's uh, just so many things happening on reality TV, on the political side, social media. And 
it just doesn't seem like anybody has anything relevant to say a lot of times. A lot of times there are things that probably shouldn't have been said, right? And you're looking at it and like, whoa, this, is, this probably shouldn't have been said. Do you ever feel like you don't have anything relevant to say? Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like you're talking to somebody and it's just kind of that awkward stare or awkward silence and, and you don't know what to say and you don't really know what to do? Well, you do have something to say to everyone. You have, you have the most relevant, the most meaningful, the most important message to give. And it's for everyone. It's for any person that you interact with. God is the same everywhere on the planet. Every nation, tribe, people group, every person has the same need to know God and to worship him. This is not just a New Testament thought. This was also in the Old Testament, as we'll see today. Although in the Old Testament, we get glimpses of it. In the Old, New Testament, it's fully revealed that God came to save all people and draw all people to himself. The psalmist in Psalm 117 makes a very big deal about the fact that the nations must worship God and know God. This read... Psalm 117 together. Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud him, all peoples. For his loving kindness is great towards us. And the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord. Your mission, your mission, Christ Bible Church, is to make God known to the nations so that they might worship him. In Psalm 117, we find two eternal truths. God is to be worshipped by all people. And God is to be known by all people. Right from the outset, this little psalm, this little psalm has some very surprising things to tell us. Right from the outset. Do you notice that it says, praise the Lord? Praise the Lord. That's the covenant name for God. It's used multiple times throughout this psalm. But it's not applied to God's people here. It's God's people singing this hymn to the nations. Nations, you need to know the covenant God. You need to know him and worship him. It calls all the nations to come and worship him. It reveals God's covenant love, his loving kindness, and his faithfulness, his truth to the nations. These are two things that were revealed very clearly just to Israel. But here, they're declared to the nations. Also, it can be argued that Paul, and, and, and Paul will, will open this up more, but uh, the Apostle Paul, but it can be argued that in this verse, in these two verses, that the Gentiles, that there's, there's a picture here of the Gentiles and and the Jews becoming one. There's a picture, of kind of a foreshadowing of that happening. Can you imagine being a Jewish worshiper? And you're one of God's special people. You would sing this psalm during Passover. And you would be singing, and, and all of a sudden you're singing about the nations. You're singing about the nations, and all the nations should worship God. What would you probably think about? What, what would, where would your mind go in the scriptures? They'd probably go back to Abraham, right? Probably back to Abraham, the, the father of your faith. 
And they go back to Abraham probably at a point like in Genesis 12:3, where God promises Abraham, in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. How was this global blessing to happen? How was it going to be fulfilled? Well, you know from all creation, all creation, all of us are under the curse of sin, aren't we? Back in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sinned, and they brought, they brought sin into the world. And we have to be saved from our sin now. Also, though, as soon as sin entered the world, God promised, in Genesis 3.15, he promised that he would send the seed of the woman to crush the head of Satan, to rescue us from our sin. Who was this seed of the woman? Who, who was going to rescue us? Who was the one to look forward to? Well, that's revealed in John 1.14. John 1.14 tells us, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, the glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The seed of the woman was Jesus. He came to save His people and all people from their sin. He's the only way to be saved from sin is through Jesus. In Galatians 3.8, Paul explains further that the Scripture... This is Galatians 3. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. In verse 14 of Galatians 3, we read, that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And then you can turn with me to Romans, Romans chapter 15. And in Romans 15, listen to how Paul uses Psalm 117, along with three other Old Testament passages, to show that God's eternal plan has always been for the nations to come and worship him. Read with me, beginning in verse 7. Actually, verse 8. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing your name. Again, he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. That's our verse. And again, Isaiah says, There shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles. In him shall the nations, the Gentiles, hope. This is how Psalm 117 was fulfilled and is being fulfilled by the nations coming to Christ. Now, do you have in your mind a better picture of, as we turn back to Psalm 117, do you have a better picture in your mind what Jesus, part of what Jesus was thinking about that, that night of the Last Supper? This psalm was one of the, the hymns that he and the disciples were singing as they went to the Mount of Olives, as, as they were just, he was hours away from his crucifixion, looking towards his resurrection. Um, he had the nations in mind. Today in Psalm 117, 
we first want to see that God is to be worshipped by all people. This is emphasized in the first stanza. We have praise the Lord, all nations, and then laud him or extol him, exalt him, all peoples. These seem to be similar similar wordings, but something you might not know in the English, this is actually a command. These are both commands. They're, they're imperative commands, which mean you must do them. And so you must praise the Lord, all nations. You must exalt him, all people. You must do this. This is, this is always used, this, this word hallelujah is always used to praise either God's name, God's person, or God's word. And here, it's to praise God's, God himself, God's person. Do you ever find that it's easy to worship God on Sunday morning? So we, we just spent time worshiping by song. We're worshiping by the word now. We've had time to worship God this morning. Do you ever find it's easy to do that on a Sunday morning? And then when you go home with your family members, it gets a little bit more difficult to worship the Lord the same way. What about tomorrow at work when you wake up and you go to work tomorrow morning or you have some difficulties during the week or some trials and school starting and there's difficulties happening? Are you worshiping the Lord the same exact way as you're worshiping him right now? We're commanded in Deuteronomy 6, as, as dads, we're commanded to always be teaching God's word to our kids, whether we're rising, walking, we're to be speaking God's word to one another, too. In Ephesians 5.19, we're told that we're to sing songs of thanksgiving and always give thanks to the Lord. Is that, is that what it looks like in your life throughout the week? Are you worshiping God the same way so that your friends, your family, your business associates, even strangers, will look at you and say, wow, why is this guy thanking the Lord? Why, why, why is this, this woman, why, why, why is she so joyful I want what she has. I want to worship like her. What, what does she worship? Who is this God that she's worshiping? Back to our text. Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud him or extol him, all peoples. Who is included in all nations or all peoples? Have you ever thought of that? When we think of nations, we think of a lot of borders and um, a lot of custom agents and that sort of thing, maybe. But this is every man and woman who has the image of God stamped on them. Gen Genesis one twenty seven tells us, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Where then did all the different languages and customs, where did all of these differences come from? Well, did, do you remember back in Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel, do you remember that time when, when mankind all spoke the same language just after the flood? And mankind was to, to fill the earth and subdue it, right? Is that what man did? No. Man instead wanted to build a city to exalt man's name in contrary and against God. And what did God do at that time? He came and he disrupted their language, didn't he? He changed their languages. And they were scattered throughout the earth as a result of, of that. Are you familiar with the, with the prayer book, Operation World? Have you, have you seen that prayer book? It's a prayer book for the nations. 
Um, also online, there's a great resource called Joshua Project, which um, lists so many, so many different um, nationalities, people groups, different languages of folks that need Christ, of folks that need God's word translated into their language. Let me give you a couple of statistics to just kind of put in perspective the, the great need in the U.S. and in the world for the gospel. Do you know that in the USA, in the, in the States, it's estimated that 29% of the entire population is evangelical Christian? So to give it in perspective, if there's a room of 100 people, about 29 or 30 people would be believers. 70%, 70 people would need Christ. That's a pretty big number, isn't it? So when you're going out, one, you know, seven out of 10 people are going to need Christ. So as, as you live your life, folks need Christ. Don't assume that somebody knows Christ. Because here in the States, they, they probably don't, even here in the States. And the States are one of the highly, highest populations of believers. We look at Albania, since that's on our mind right now. Um, Albania, if we're a room of 100 people, 99 and a, and a half of those people, half a person, 99 of those people would not know Christ. So one of those people may or may not know Christ, 50-50 chance. And do you know of the 7 billion people, if we scope out and look at the entire world, of the 7 billion people on the planet right now, is estimated about 500 million are evangelical Christians. They know Christ. That sounds like a lot, doesn't it? Sounds like a lot. To put it in perspective, though, that's, that's about 8% of the population. So that would mean if we had 100 people representing the world in a room, 92 of those people would not know Christ. 92. So is that a lot? Is there a great need? For the gospel? Is there a great need as you go to work tomorrow, as you, as you um, live with your relatives, as you go about your normal life? There's a great need for the gospel, isn't there? It truly shows, too, that, that it's a narrow road. It is a narrow road, as Jesus said. It is a narrow road, and many need Christ. So do you know six and a half million people? Can you reach six and a half million people? Can you save six and a half million people? No, you can't. You can't. But God can, can't he? He absolutely can. And he desires that, that the lost come and that they be saved. God has not commanded us to make the seed of the gospel grow. Like we heard last week, God is the one that causes the seed of the gospel to grow, isn't he? He's the one that causes the seed to grow. He's the one that, that does it. He changes hearts. He's in that business. We must rely on his power to bear fruit. He is the one that bears fruit. We are to pray, to speak out, to live out the gospel. Every person that you encounter needs to know that they are to worship God. They are commanded to worship God. Every person it does not matter if they're self-proclaimed atheist, Buddhist, Catholic, Muslim, Greek Orthodox, Mormon. They need to forsake, forsake their man-made religion, and they need to turn to Christ. They must turn to Christ and worship him. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. It's only through Christ. 
Steve Lawson, um, a preacher, helps us here. He says, Peoples around the world must turn from their false religions, renounce their false gods, and extol the true God in repentance and saving faith. The Lord alone is God, and He alone is worthy to be praised. Today, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you know for certain if you were to die to today or tonight that you would go to heaven? Uh, this, this week we had a, a death in our family. Um, Molly's grandma, Betty, who our, our daughter Betty is named after, um, passed away last uh, Tuesday. And um, thankfully she, she loved Christ. And she, she's with Christ right now. The moment she died, she's with Christ. And she's worshiping him right now face to face. But what about you? Are you ready to meet the Lord? If you were to die tonight, do you know for sure that you go to heaven? I just would tell you, if there's any question in your mind, turn to Christ today. Today is the day of salvation. And find one of us that knows Christ. We would love to lead you to Christ and love for you to know him and have a personal relationship with him and be saved. You'll know how to live and what to do because you'll finally know your creator in a personal relationship. Back to our text. Do you, do you see that word um, in the second line where it says all peoples? That, that specifically is all tribes. In the Great Commission in Matthew 28, Jesus commanded us to make disciples of all nations. Do you remember that? Make disciples of all nations. That's the same wording in the Greek as the Hebrew, as the Old Testament, well, in Greek translation, Septuagint. It's translated the same exact way. Which is very interesting. This is the same phrase found here in Psalm 117. Laud him, extol him, all peoples. These are the people that we are to make disciples, to go into all the world and make disciples. Now, we are to call men to laud and extol and worship God. Are they to do that without their minds? Absolutely not. We're to worship God with our minds. I was at a conference um, about 10 years ago, a conference, one of the speakers was our, actually our current president, um, and this, this um, famous famous motivational speaker was, um, was speaking to a group of about 5,000 in a room, and there were, there were thousands thousands in other rooms. And I'm looking right at this guy, and he's, he's getting everybody excited, and he's, he's, he's getting everybody motivated. That's his whole job, right? So everybody's getting all into it, and they're, they're excited, and they're clapping, clapping, and they're jumping up and down, preaching. Everybody's standing on their, on their chairs, jumping up and down, clapping. And I remember looking at the guy next to me saying, what are we clapping about? Like, what, what is this? And he looked back and he said, I don't know. And he just, he's just going, right? That is not what we're called to do. It's not without knowledge, is it? We're too called to, to have all the people of the world worship the Lord through knowing him, through knowing him. And that leads us to our second point, that God is to be known by all people. He's to be worshipped by all people, and he's to be known by all people. In verse 2, we read, For his loving kindness is great towards us, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. 
is everlasting. Did you, foc- did, did you catch the focus of this psalm, the center of this psalm? Did you know that if you were to open your English Bible, Psalm 117, they say, is the exact middle of your Bible. It's the center. Do you know what the center of this psalm is? Do you know what it centers around? It centers around the Lord. Look at this. Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud him, all peoples, for his loving kindness. The truth of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord. In every line of this short psalm, we are focused back on Yahweh, back on the covenant God, the personal God that we can know. That is the focus. It occurs, he, his name occurs five times, or is referred to five times in this little psalm. Jesus Christ is to be the center of our message, of our lives. John Piper has aptly said, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. Have you thought of that? God is to be worshipped. That is, that is the, the main goal. That is what should be the focus of our lives. This is also said very well by, by another man. His name was Samuel Zwimmer. He was, he was a, um, a worker. He, he reached out to the, those in the Muslim world. He's known as kind of the father of missions to the Arab world. And about 100 years ago, he um, wrote a book. Every year he wrote a book for 50 years. And each of his works are to help those, help us to reach those that don't know Christ are coming from a Muslim background. This is what he said. The chief end of missions is not the salvation of men. Does that strike you a little? The chief end of missions is not the salvation of men, but the glory of God. And that's correct, isn't it? That's correct. That's, that's how we are to live our lives. Our lives are to be lived for what? What purpose? Where are we to do all things? To the glory of God. And so that's the same thing with missions. That's exactly what we're supposed to do. Have you ever seen some confusion? Have you seen confusion happening in the world of, of missions? Is it to, to build, you know, build a house, dig a well, to teach kids, feed the hungry, start a company, help an economy? Those are all good things, and those may give legitimacy to why a person serving in a country, but, but that's, that's not the main goal, is it? The main goal is for people to worship God, for them to know God and to worship him. And what are we to worship about God? Here we're giving two characteristics of God, two of his attributes, his love and his truth. His love and his truth. These two attributes are essential to God's character, aren't they? In Exodus 34, 6, when Moses is saying, God, show me your glory, show me your glory, the Lord passed by in front of him, and this is what it said. This is what the Lord said to Moses and declared about himself. The Lord, the Lord, God, great, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. 
God's loving kindness is great towards us. Have you ever thought that your sin is too great for God to forgive? Have you ever thought that? Well, how this is structured in in the original language is amazing because that word great is actually a verb. That's a verb. And, And so what it's actually saying is that God's love is is not great it's God's love is prevailing it's it's like an army overcoming a city it's a picture of it it was used in the flood it was used in the flood Um, Charles Spurgeon gives us a little help here he says the mighty grace of God has prevailed even as the waters of the flood prevailed over the earth breaking over all bonds it has flowed towards all portions of the race of man. In Christ Jesus, God has shown mercy mixed with kindness to the very highest degree. His, his grace is greater than all of our sin. Isn't that amazing? That's an amazing truth. And that's exactly what it's saying here, that his, his love is overtaking us. It's, it's um, similar to in Psalm 23, where, where the, the, the Lord's grace and mercy pursues us all the days of our life. With here, it's prevailing over us. So anytime you think, wow, boy, my sin is so great. Don't forget how great your sin is. Don't forget. But also don't forget how great God's grace is. It's greater than all of your sin. God is full of mercy. He does not give us what we deserve. We deserve his wrath. And that's what mercy is, is, is withholding his wrath from us. It's not giving us what we deserve. Somebody says, I want what I deserve. It's like, okay, you step aside, right? Because if we got what we deserved on any day, um, it's really not what we want at all. And then grace, God is full of grace. He gives us what we don't deserve through Christ. And the truth of the Lord is everlasting. His truth is everlasting. The word truth, it means firmness, faithfulness, reliability, sureness, stability, continuance. Scholar Derek Kidner has explained, the emphasis of this second line can be summed up by saying that God's plans and promises are as fresh and intact now as on the day that they were made and they will remain so forever. Isn't that amazing? And when you read God's truth in his word, his word is truth, it will not go bad. I mean, how much do we hear in our, our day and, and things expire constantly, right? We're, we're hearing something and you get a new computer and that thing's out of date by the time you bring it home, right? You bring it home and it's like, ah, uh, like you upload the software and you need another software update, right? That never happens with God's word. It is always as fresh as the day that God promised, and it will last for eternity that way. His word is sure. We can trust our Lord. Can you imagine trying to explain the gospel to somebody without including God's love and God's truth? Can you imagine? Can you imagine trying to explain the gospel to somebody if God was not faithful? It would be impossible, wouldn't it? It wouldn't be the gospel. And so when you share the gospel with someone, remember, remember, they need to be a worshiper of God. They're called and commanded to be a worshiper of God. And remember, too, that you can easily share with them God's love and God's truth. 
and they need to hear God's love and truth through the gospel. So you have something to talk about with anyone, don't you? Anyone. The last, the last phrase here is praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And this is full circle. This psalm, and it's exactly where it began. Praising the Lord, calling us, again, a, a verb, a command, an imperative. Praise the Lord. You praise the Lord. So when we sang today, we, one of the songs, it was Alleluia. We're really, it's a command. We're commanding ourselves. We're commanding everyone. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord with us. He's worthy of our praise. In Revelation Seven. The, the Bible also ends, and, and it, our, our time on earth, our time, time, it could be argued, ends here, focuses here. In Revelation 7, it says, 7 verse 9, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation, all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? We'll all speak the same language. We'll know. We'll all be saying the same words. And praise to God. We'll be understanding what one another says. That's what heaven will be like. Uh, have, you, have you ever had the experience of being in a place where you, you kind of look different than everybody else around you and you speak a different language and your customs, you're dressed differently than everybody else? I had a, a roommate in college from Tanzania and he, he told me one day, he said, you know, Micah, you people look, look all the same. You people look the same. Like I, I, I have trouble recognizing you apart. Have you ever experienced that where you're in a strange place and, and you, you, you don't know anyone and then you meet someone that knows Christ? What happens? You have an instant bond with that person, don't you? You have an instant bond or you're in a work situation or, or you're in a, maybe a difficult situation where there are a, a lot of um, maybe an, even animosity towards Christ and then you meet that person that knows Christ? Man, it's so encouraging, isn't it? It's such a blessing. That's what heaven will be like, but, but to an exponential degree, won't it? We'll finally be face-to-face with our Lord, along with all of those who have worshipped him in spirit and truth. And that's what we're, we're, we're supposed to do, according to our psalm in Psalm 117. Call all nations to come and worship him and to know him, to know our God. In conclusion... Um, I worked for Princess Cruises for, for six years. And at Princess Cruises at that time, there were about 20,000 employees and there were about 19 different vessels that we supported. I was in the office. There were about 15,000 at least employees on all of the ships. And then there were even others that worked in very special situations, such as construction when the ship was taken out of the water. Each of, of us had a different responsibility, didn't we? We had different tasks that had to be done that were interrelated with one another. If I didn't do my task in the office, it could affect the guy that was on the ship trying to get a dry dock done in five days, that if he didn't get it done in five days, we'd lose millions of dollars. This was a big deal. Well, we all took different risks, too. Our jobs had different risks. 
I, my risk in the office was like maybe getting a paper cut or staple, right? I had to wear closed-toed shoes, you know. Uh, but, uh, but the guys on the ship, a little bit more risk, right? You're 14 stories up. You fall off, which happened at times. What would happen? You, you, could, you could die, right? You could drown. Imagine falling 14 stories off of a moving vessel. Um, or what about the guy that's working um, on a dry dock situation where there's electrical stuff going on, there's, there's tension ropes that could break, there's, um, there's huge distances that they fall, they fall 200 feet, and, and guys would, would die in those situations. But not all of us had the same risk, but we were all in, in the same company for the same purpose. What were we working for? to entertain passengers, to increase revenue. That's why we were working. Now think about the body of Christ. We're not here to increase revenue, no. We're not, we're not here to um, help people be entertained, no. But we work together to make disciples for all men to know Christ, don't we? We all have different roles and different responsibilities. We have different people that God has, has strategically placed us with in our lives that we're to be faithful to share the gospel with and to make disciples in our area, in our realm that the Lord has placed us. There are no second-class citizens in the family of God. We are all to be faithful to do the work of service exactly where he's placed us whether that's in an office, in the pastorate, as a mommy, helping patients, teaching students, making sales in a jungle, counting beans, going to school, caring for loved ones. We all have a very important responsibility. We're to make Christ known through sharing the gospel and authenticating the gospel through how we live our lives. Don't underestimate the power of the gospel and the gospel seeds that you're planting in each of the situations that God has you in. He has you there strategically for a specific purpose. Each of us is to either go and reach the nations or stay and reach the nations. Be faithful exactly where the Lord has planted you. Remember, God is to be worshipped by all people. And God is to be known by all people. And you are the means that he wants to use to reach people for Christ. And remember, too, that you have something in common with every person. Every person needs exactly what you have. And so don't be timid to talk to someone. They need, they need to worship God. They need to become a worshiper of God, the one true God. And they need to know him. Please, please pray with me. Lord, we come before you and we thank you so much for your word. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. We did nothing on our own to deserve your grace, to deserve your kindness lavished on us in Christ. Lord, please just prick our hearts that we, as a church, are not yet complete. We need to share the gospel. We need to make disciples. We need to go into all nations. We need to be faithful in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our homes to make you known and to worship you. Father, help us to worship you today. Thank you for your kindness to us, O oh Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.